This week, we talked to a three-and-a-half-year carnivore who's making some changes. We're going to find out why. Her name's Jess Jones. Welcome to Fit and Furious. Let's get into it. Welcome to Jess Jones. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Good. And you are, um, I'm detecting a hint of an accent. Uh, you're in Mexico? <laughs> I accent, am I? <laughs> Mexico, is that where you're from? No, I'm from London. London. Oh, that makes more sense. I was reminiscent. I was looking at your Twitter profile again, and I was reminiscent about it. I spent six years in the military, in the Air Force, and I was in yeah. Mildenhall a few times, so okay. about 80 miles north of you. Wow. So when was that? Um, that would have been the mid-90s. And um, what did you think? Did you like it? Oh, yeah, I liked it a lot. Especially coming from Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, into yeah. Mildenhall, and everything was fresh and green, and it was in the springtime, so... Yeah, it, it was pretty good. Yeah, I like it. Cool. So, Jess, you kind of came on our radar. Um, we talk about carnivore a lot, you know, meat-heavy diets, low-carb. Uh, we've, we've talked about all the different kinds of diets, and um, mm -hmm. we haven't run into too many, and I, I'm mostly a carnivore myself, Dewey less so, but we haven't run into many uh, carnivores who are kind of uh, been doing it for more than you know a couple of years or so, days. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> so it really kind of inter interested us. So before we launch into that, though, I, I kind of wanted to uh, tell us how you were raised, as far as you know, what was your diet when you were a kid before you started making these decisions for yourself. I guess. Um, I guess until I became a carnivore. I always had a very carb-heavy, starch-heavy diet. And interestingly, I grew up on a farm in Sussex, so in the, near the south coast in the UK. And although I was on a farm and we had cattle and we had eggs and we had daily milk, I would say even back then, you know, typical 70s kind of kid, I was eating cereal for breakfast, porridge for breakfast, lived on sandwiches, um, lots of potatoes, lots of, we had corn on the cob growing in the field. So we, that would be a big part of our diet. So, yeah. and I remember my mum having, you know, one of those big bottles of like canola oil. <laughs> we had an, ar an argo, which is like, it's like a sort of big stove type thing. Anyway, and I remember her having a bottle of canola oil and I think, God, what a tragedy. Right. That we were growing up on a farm, <laughs> you know, with dairy products there and she was using canola oil like you know right oh yeah uh i know it's not polite to ask a lady her age but you said a child of the 70s and we're both I, i'm 49 dewey's 47 i'll be 48 next week be 48 next week so Ooh, happy birthday for next week you want i am I'm 49. Okay, so you're right in there, too. So we're all of the same vintage here. So, uh, yeah, we, we had very similar upbringings. I mean, my my grandma lived on a farm as well, and every time we went out to eat there, I can think back to, like, four or five different carbs on the plate, you know, breads, coals, you know, some type of corn and potatoes and everything else. And well, of bread course, and butter was every meal. Oh, yeah. You couldn't get away from it. Yeah, and meat, of course, too. But when you look at the ratios – it was really, you know, the meat was a pretty small percentage when you think about it. Um, so you were raised that way, much like us. Mm -hmm. And how was your um, body fat percentage? Like what was, you, you know, would you consider yourself lean or what was your 
status when you were growing up? So um, I always felt, you know what, I don't know how much I've weighed throughout my life. You know, I, I can't even remember as a kid if I was overweight, particularly maybe a little bit. But what I can tell you for, for sure is that I always felt really uncomfortable. After every meal, I felt bloated. Mm. I felt like I'd eaten too much. And I think because as you're saying, you know, the same for me, I ate bread and butter, I think with every meal, I don't know why we did that, but that was just part of what we ate. Yep. And I don't know if, you know, people talk about being wheat intolerant and all these kind of things. I thought, well, maybe I'm wheat intolerant, but I don't think that's just a certain proportion of people. I think that we're all fairly much carbohydrate intolerant, right? So I always felt, even when, even when I went through, you know, periods as a child of not being overweight at all, I always felt bloated and overfull, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And it's that feeling. I have also lost weight, you know, being a carnivore. But I think for me, the biggest benefit is that I don't feel that sense of bloating that I always felt up until that point. Did you have any other, to me, I always trace it back to inflammation related things. Like I had uh, sinus issues. My eyes were always running. I had plantar fasciitis, you know, all things you could kind of tie to inflammation. Uh, did mm -hmm. you have any other instances of inflammation related symptoms, you know, any aches and pains and things like that besides mm -hmm. the digestion? You know what? I really, I really didn't, which is quite interesting. I think I've been really lucky health-wise. And, you know, I've never really – lots of people, I think, come to the carnival diet because, I don't know, they're diabetic or because they've got other underlying health issues. But for me, that really isn't the case. I've always been, touch wood, really lucky with my health. But I just – you know what? I have to say that I think it, my, it was my mental health probably. And you do read that, you know, mental health is very linked to, you know, depression – feeling low, feeling down. I have read quite a few articles saying that actually eating a, a carbohydrate-heavy diet that creates inflammation can be linked to low mood. And I would say that is the one thing that definitely I would say I was not a victim of, but that I can really relate to. I think until I became a carnivore, I was just like depressed. You know, not I've never taken antidepressants. I've never been on medication or sort, sort of, you know, had any mental health issues per se, but I always felt very low. And I think that was predominantly my diet. So that's, that's exactly the next question I was going to oh, ask, not to interrupt you, but yeah, because uh, the mental aspects, and I've noticed the same thing um, when fasting or when just low carb in general, but particularly when fasting, you know, you get that elevated sense, you know, of total spiritual yeah. creaminess, you mm -hmm. know, like your brain is firing on all cylinders. Um, did you notice... Well, how were you aware of that before you went carnivore, or did, was it more of an awakening when you went carnivore that, wow, this is what good is supposed to feel like? Yeah, I think that second one, I think it was just like an accidental byproduct. I, nev I never thought that what I was eating particularly was making me feel low or making me feel negative or, you know, being a bit more of a pessimistic person. But mm -hmm. I must say in the last three and a half years, you know, other things have happened in my life as well. So you it's difficult to say this is definitively because of my diet, but I feel that in the last three and a half years, I feel like a, a completely new person. I feel so much more happy. I feel more optimistic. I don't sort of dread going to work. You know, I just feel, which is really funny for me because, you know, and maybe this is sort of yet to happen for me, but, 
you know, so many of my friends are going through menopause, you know, there's big hormonal changes for women in their late 40s. And I feel the opposite. I feel like, wow, I have never felt so good. I mean, obviously, there's other things going on too. But on the whole, I feel great. So yeah, it was just a byproduct. I didn't think if I start eating predominantly meat, I'm going to feel great. But that has 100% been the case. Awesome. Yeah, I have a quick question. A lot of times when you hear people say, well, I tried keto or I tried carnivore and man, I just feel so good now. Everything, that mental clarity, my body feels good. I'm firing on all cylinders. Mm-hmm. What I find fascinating about you though is when we hear those stories, a lot of times we hear people saying that, but then you, when you dig a little deeper and you peel away the onion, you find out that, well, it's because they're eating Twinkies and pizza and Mountain Dew and eating just trash. So they get rid of that piece and then, of course, they feel better. But that doesn't sound like you. That sounds like your diet was pretty clean going into carnivore. Is that, is that right? I'd say, um, you know, I've always been a, really aware of eating processed food. So I would really try and keep processed food out of my diet. You know, so if things come in a packet, you know, there's that thing, you know, if things have a brand name, you know, if you then you shouldn't be eating them. So I have always tried to keep branded food, if you like, out of my sure. diet because that's one way of keeping processed food out, right? But it's, you know, it's the bread, it's the stodge, it's the pasta. I think for me personally, they were really, really toxic. Although they're not, you know, like ultra processed food, they are still, you know, very stodgy, very high in sugar and carbohydrates. And I think for me personally, that was, you know, the really toxic element that just doesn't agree with me at all. Sure. Yeah, I find that fascinating. So let me ask you this. When you, uh, how how did you even first decide that, or even be aware that carnivore was an option. Where yeah. did you first hear about it? That was one of my questions. What what led you down the rabbit hole? It's funny, isn't it? Because it is like that. You do just suddenly discover this thing and think, wow, do people really eat like that? Right. Well, it seems insane that, when you first it hear it. Crazy. It's crazy. still so does. I was feeling um, pretty unhappy with myself, and I was going through a difficult time personally, and I started seeing a, tra- a personal trainer um, around 2016, 2017, and he, we, you know, he trained me on a physical level, but we also talked about diet. He was South African, and he'd read a lot of stuff from Professor Tim nope, Noakes. Noakes, and, he, and he, reco- he recommended um, Tim Noakes' books to me, and that really was the beginning of my journey. Okay. And then after him, I, you know, started reading Gary Tobe and Paul Saladino, and you know, yes. on Twitter and on YouTube, you just come across more. You know, is this as you say a rabbit hole? And suddenly, you're like, wow, I didn't even know this was a thing. Right. But it was it was very much Tim Noakes, who I thought I think I still think his diet is very very sensible. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was kind of the beginning of the journey for me. So yeah. when you started doing uh, carnivore, did you have a lot of people complain about an adaptation period? You know, poor digestion, diarrhea type issues. Do you have any adaptation woes? I would say at the beginning, for sure, 100% I did. I think the first few weeks I had that real brain fog and um, just feeling really, really exhausted. And so I did all those things that you're kind of recommended to do, like I'd have um, a bath with with bath salts. I would take magnesium. I try and make sure I had lots of salt, you know, regular table salt in my diet. Electrolytes, I make sure yeah. I was drinking a lot. So that definitely helped. But I, I mean, I don't know if I did all of those enough or sufficiently because at the time I still thought that salt was pretty much like a to- this toxic thing that you right. kind of like treated with dread. But and now I would, you know, just 
you know, eat a lot more salt if I went through that again. So I definitely felt low energy, brain fog, and just pretty shoddy for, you know, probably a couple of weeks, to be honest. So then it passed. For, I mean, two weeks is not that bad. So it passed, and then uh, you started to really see the benefits. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I feel, I just feel really, really good doing, you know, I lost weight. I feel much more sort of clarity in my thinking. I feel a lot more focused. I'm a lot more energetic. Like I, I walk um, seven kilometers every day. So like that's 10,000 steps. So I do that religiously. So I always feel that I've had lots of exercise. I have quite, I mean, in some ways when I start talking about it, because obviously I don't necessarily talk about these things sort of day to day, but, you know, I don't drink any alcohol. I don't think, eat anything sweet at all. I, you know, I do the exercise, I, you know, mainly eating meat with a few, you know, little bits and pieces here and there. So for many people, I suppose that is probably quite extreme, but I do feel really, really great. And if ever I kind of go off track and I, you know, have that piece of bread or have, you know, a few spoons of pasta, and it really won't be more than that. I do start feeling those feelings of discomfort in my mm-hmm. intestines, and that makes me that brings me down mentally. So I just know it isn't worth. It's not worth really deviating from it. Were you tested for celiacs? Funnily enough, I bought because my daughter recently, one of my children, had to test for celiacs um, in the last couple of months, and I just bought a test off you know somewhere online. I thought I'd just try it out, and I, I'm fine. I, I, do, I definitely don't have it, and I don't okay. think. I, I never really thought that I had it, but sure. you know, I think bread and wheat is probably not good for most people. Right? Yeah, Just, I, I, especially in, especially in excess. People can tolerate people can tolerate it at different in different ranges. I think there's a spectrum, and yeah. some people aren't bothered by it at all, but some people are extremely bothered and it sounds like you're kind of somewhere in the middle where yeah. it's just not optimal and yeah. you do have more negative effects than positive effects. Mm-hmm. I was going to ask you this too. When you started doing the carnivore diet, did you get pushback from friends, family? I don't know if you were like in a relationship or anything, but people close to you, did they try to push back or say you're crazy or try to talk you out of it? <laughs> that's a really good question and it's one that's really difficult to answer for various reasons I mean I suppose firstly when I started out you know three and a half years ago whatever I didn't think like this is me for the rest of my life I was just you know I thought I'll try this out for a few days and I'll see how it goes and you know that at that point you're never really kind of announcing it to people you just you know people just realize that you're only eating steak or that you just have chicken when you're out and I, I must say I've never really Although, funnily enough, I do have my YouTube, you know, my channel on YouTube where I'm talking about this all the time. I don't talk about that to my friends that I'm seeing day to day. I just think, you know, it's, it's not like two separate lives, but I think I don't want to bore. One of the big things is I don't want to bore people with it because I think it can be really dull hearing about someone's kind of like, you know, uh, you know, being evangelistic about, evangelical about, you know, their lifestyle, what they're doing. And I think I don't want to be that person who's saying, oh, you should only eat meat because I've done it and look at me and yada, yada. So I don't really talk about it all that much. You know what? <laughs> so you don't want to be a reverse vegan. That's how we know you're not <laughs> vegan. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely do not want to fall into that camp because I just think it's dull, right? And it's not for everyone. I think for me, it has worked really well. I feel really great on it. But I think the, the pushback that I do definitely get from friends is, you know, if I eat bacon, for instance, at every mealtime, which I definitely go through phases of doing that, then it's really bad for my health. And I know that they've only got my best interests at heart, but I just, I just disagree. I think, 
it makes me feel good. I like the taste of it. I really think eating bacon, even if I'm eating it three times a day, is better for me than having bread or toast or crumpets or whatever it might be three times a day. I really fundamentally believe that. So two questions. Um, is are they saying bacon is bad because of the fat and they just have the kind of old school hypothesis that the saturated fat is going to clog your arteries? And number two, what the F is a crumpet? <laughs> it's a pastry dummy. <laughs> you don't know what a crumpet is. A crumpet is it's just like some kind of, it's halfway between a um, toast and a cake. I'm from North Dakota, so I have no clue what that is. You have to excuse him. <laughs> He's very uncultured. <laughs> Um, and yeah, on the bacon, on the bacon, think, on the bacon thing, um, they just think it's saturated fat going to clog your arteries. Is that the? I think that's part of it. And there's, I mean, I tend not to read any of the negative news, you know, or any articles about the bad things about bacon or meat in general because I, I don't necessarily want to know. But I think there is stuff about nitrates, is it, in bacon? Or mm. there's something, you know, I think also bacon being smoked a lot of the time. People are nervous about smoked food because that's carcinogenic. I don't know what people's specific issues are around that, but I think we are definitely indoctrinated. Definitely in the UK. I don't know about you guys, but oh, yeah. in the UK, you were indoctrinated to believe that meat is pretty much terrible for you in every yeah. way. It's fat, blah, blah, uh, blah. You know, so many reasons. They're trying. They're trying to do that, but we're, that's why we're half the reason we started our podcast was to try to present the opposite viewpoint and try to resist that. Um, yeah. So well, I'm, I'm sorry, gonna, go ahead, I don't want to jump ahead on you and step on your touchdown call here, but... Um, I'm fascinated, so I'm going to jump to it right away. I want to know more about because I'm a firm believer in, um, in in anyone that needs to lose weight or, or is in a, an obese situation that they yeah. need to drastically reduce, if not eliminate, carbohydrate altogether. Mm -hmm. But I'm also very pro carbohydrate in terms of athletic performance, right. uh, especially in the anaerobic pathway. Not, mm -hmm. not necessarily the, the aerobic pathway because that's a fat oxidation pathway. So I'm okay there, but I really struggle with when you get anaerobic and not having glucose stored. But the problem is, getting back to that bacon part, is I think the problem where we run into is when we mix the fat and the carbohydrate at the same yeah. time. It's not the fat, it's not the carb, it's both together at the same time because you're you're confusing your body with two energy sources. Mm -hmm. When really, if you're metabolically flexible, you can use either or, but you yeah. just shouldn't use both. Anyways, the point of my, what I really want to know is what made you recently say, you know what, I should probably add some carbs. <laughs> the thing is, I'm quite inconsistent as a person. I, I guess I was fasting for like, I did a fast back in February where I fasted really successfully for seven days. And then That's I good, tried by the way. <laughs> That's and I impressive. tried to fast more recently and I fasted for about three days and I just felt like some salad. It was a really weird feeling. I th thought, I feel like some rocket, which I think you guys call arugula. Yep. I feel some, some of that with some like balsamic and some, um, you know, some olive oil. And I just thought, oh, I'm, because I think when you're fasting, I don't know if you guys fast at all, mm -hmm. but it really clears your palate and it just makes you think about things in a very different way. And I, that's really what I felt like. So I just went with that feeling and I had some salad bits and pieces for a few days. And I think, you know, that was enough. I, I, sure. It, it doesn't really agree with me. I found my digestion was like sluggish, let's say again. I, I feel when I'm just eating predominantly meat with some um, 
cheese, that is when my digestion feels absolutely amazing. That I feel no discomfort. I don't feel like I've got a slow digestion. But even just adding a little bit of salad into my diet, it just didn't make me feel good. So, you know, I'm not committed to saying I will never eat carbohydrates again. But, you know, I, so I'll always be testing things out. So I just will see how it goes, I guess. But the, my, the one thing that I'm super, super consistent with is that I never eat anything sweet ever. No, no fruit, nothing sweet, nothing that's got any kind of sweet flavor to it. Partly because before taking, before following this diet, before becoming a carnivore, I was just such a sweet, I craved sweet food mm -hmm. all the time. And I never, it was like being like on drugs. I just never <laughs> ever want to go back to that. And I will avoid that at all costs. It's so that's thing that stays really consistent for me and speaking of drugs i joke a lot with josh and, and during the podcast that i like to call um carbohydrates to me carbohydrates are peds they're performance enhancing drugs mm -hmm. when it comes to extreme high level you know athletic competition um i really really do i, I i'm a avid crossfitter okay. and, and i always joke with people that's and i say i actually put this on facebook the other day and i said you don't need carbohydrate to do CrossFit, but you need carbohydrate to be good at CrossFit. <laughs> so, and that, and, and I think if, if even just a fraction of the population would take that approach to using carbs as a tool and not yeah. a way of life, I think that there's so many people would be better off. And the thing that, you know, and Dewey's sort of immersed in that world. So that really applies to such a, you know, small percentage of the population. Right, so really right. the reverse of that is what you're saying is if you're not an elite performance athlete, you probably should avoid carbs. Ab oh, sure. Absolutely. That, that's really, that's what I hear when I, when you say yep. that. Yep. Um, so, you know, like for Jess here, who's basically, you know, what do you, do you walk or run? You said seven, seven kilometers. kilometers. Day, yeah. yeah Which, so I walk seven kilometers every day. Um, and that's I, not really extreme. So, I mean, I think that person that that with that level of athletic performance is not requiring carbs. Yeah. Well, even 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 the exertion level. If you if you if you Google Zach Bitter, he actually broke the world the world record in the ultra marathon, being completely fat adapted. Right, and that, I mean that's astonishing. But when you listen to his podcast, he says that when I don't train, I eat meat and eggs, and zero carbs. But on the days I train, he eats six hundred, seven, eight hundred grams of carbs. Right, he's just to fuel it. his training. Yep. After outside of that, he doesn't touch them. Right. So again, for the majority of the population, avoid carbs unless you're a high performance athlete. That's right. really what you're saying. Right. Um, let me ask you this: So, you, you mentioned you eat cheese. Um, mm -hmm. How about other forms of dairy? You know, milk, cream, heavy cream. Like a lot of carnivores have heavy cream. I don't know if they call it the same in the UK, but yeah, uh, just because yeah. that's all fat and no sugar. So do you incorporate any of that or? So um, I do. I mean, in an ideal world, to be completely honest, I wouldn't. I think, I think my body really suits meat and eggs and some fish as well. But I find cheese and dairy things, they're like an indulgence that I really enjoy. So I, I will either have cheese, uh, well, I pretty much have cheese after I'm eating two meals a day at the moment, so I have cheese, just a very small amount after every meal. And if I'm not doing that, what I'm doing at the moment is I'll have like some cream, like some you know, heavy cream, just like a tablespoonful of like heavy cream. Sure. Okay, so pretty limited. So 
getting back to the, and I was going to ask you about what you're eating in a typical day. And it sounds like you're doing two meals a day. Mm -hmm. And so that's sort of time restricted feeding or intermittent fasting. And you do more extended fasts, how often Mm -hmm. and how long typically? So just to talk about the daily thing, um, I've always really struggled to do any day-to-day fasting. And I've talked about this on Twitter and elsewhere a lot. I'm, I'm a real three meals a day person as a general rule. But over the last few weeks, I thought, right, I really want to try eating within that sort of 18-hour window that, that, or, you know, within the six-hour windows and and, eat, and fasting for 18 hours. So I've really tried to not eat breakfast. And I'm just having my first meal at one, two o'clock in the afternoon and my final meal of the day at six o'clock. And I, for the first time ever, I think that's working really well for me. Um and in terms of extended fasts, I, at the beginning of the year, so back in February, I did, a, for the first time in my life, I did a seven-day fast. I really, really loved it. I felt amazing. Mm-hmm. I'd never done any kind of extended fast at all. And you that. went right into seven days. <laughs> Holy crap. <laughs> the thing is, I'm quite a black and white, but, you know, I'm quite an all or nothing person. I don't so. understand that type of thinking. Yeah, all. we're the same way. <laughs> Um, so did you just say, I'm going to go as long as I can, and that was as long as you could, or did you set out to do seven days when you started? I set, I set out to do seven days. Wow. Because I think, you know, what, why isn't it achievable? I know that I have sufficient body fat, you know, to keep me going for seven days. So the only thing that makes it unachievable is is the mindset, right? Yep. So it was, it was only going to be the mindset that would prevent me from doing it. So I just thought, right, I, I need to start with thinking that – you know, this is going to be a seven-day thing and just stay really committed. And for one reason or another, I just managed to do it. And I thought, interestingly, I kind of had a feeling that if I tried to do it a second time, it would be harder, and it definitely was. But then was that because I was just expecting it to be harder? Mm-hmm. I don't know. But like I, will, I, will, <laughs> I will do another seven-day fast. I'm not – and one thing to say on this, I really – I did not do it to lose weight. I really didn't, and I really don't want to promote fasting as a weight loss tool because – I think especially for women and for young women, that's a really slippery slope. I did it as a challenge, an experiment to see how my digestion reacted, to see how my skin, you know, just to see, just as an experiment, I really did not do it to lose weight. And I I did lose weight briefly, but then, you know, you get back into your normal eating pattern and those like five pounds came back on. But I just really enjoyed the feeling of doing it. I just wanted to experiment. It's funny you say that because a lot of people approach me and they said, well, Dwayne, should I be fasting? And I'm like, one of the initial questions I ask every single time is, do you have a history of an eating disorder uh, or disordered eating period? And yeah. if they say, well, you know, in college, I'll interrupt them and say, nope, nope, it's not for you. Yeah. Um, but back to the seven days, I've done 48 hours frequently. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's enough for me. But seven days, what was your regimen as far as supplementation? Did you do anything outside of electrolytes? I, th- yeah. I did electrolytes. I, I, I did drink a lot of herbal tea. So okay. you know, some some people are really puritanical and say, look, if you're drinking herbal tea, it's not a proper fast. But but also it was February. It was pretty cold here. You sure. know, if I was just drinking cold water, I mean, I suppose I could have just drunk hot water, but I really needed something just to kind of get me through. So herbal teas, I was drinking a lot. And yeah, I was just having electrolytes and that was it. And so a few people said to me, why don't you have bone broth? But for me, that's too far, you know, into actually eating food. So I just, sure. you know, tea and electrolytes. Yeah, food. a lot of people like Dr. Uh, uh, um, Sachin Panda. I don't know if you've heard of him, but him mm-hmm. and Rhonda Patrick do a lot of podcasts together. Um, they're, you should look at you Google them. I put them in the show mm-hmm. notes. Um, but they're huge proponents of fasting 
and um, they talk a lot about the supplementation and not doing anything over 48 without, without being under doctor supervision. Did you consult mm-hmm. anybody or did you just go based off Dr. Google and self kind of self-taught? <laughs> there's, a, there's a lady on YouTube. Who, yeah, I mean, Dr. Google pretty much. There's a lady on YouTube. She's called Dr. Mindy Peltz, I think it is. I watched quite a few of her oh, videos. Yeah. And also I do, um, I do listen to Rhonda Patrick quite a lot. Yep. Um, I've listened to quite a few of her podcasts and when she's being interviewed. You know what? I think the, the reason that I th- think it's fine to fast if, you're, if you don't have a history of eating disorders, I'm completely with you on that. I think it's fine because it's such a traditional thing to do. You know, like you look at any religious tradition and fasting is a part of pretty much any, you know, um, spiritual sort of system. And I just think we're very nervous in this day and age to fast. But I think... On, I mean, as I said, I've been lucky with my health. I don't have any underlying health conditions. I'm not promoting fasting, but I'm just saying, for me, I, I just don't feel nervous about it. I think, you know, it's but you said most ancient that. cultures uh, discovered the benefits of that, you know, far uh, before, you know, we became nervous. Well, not even ancient. I mean, we'd spent two and a half million years not eating every day. Right. Exactly. Well, let me ask you this. You mentioned something during your fast. You said you lost a little weight and you had Mm -hmm. sufficient body fat to support the fast. So having been a carnivore for so long, is one of your goals to get leaner? Um, Oh, yeah, for sure. So what – you feel like that's plateaued, like – as far as, you know, your protein to fat ratio or why do you think you haven't achieved that in three and a half years, the level of leanness that you're looking for? Oh, I mean, do you mean I want to lean, be more lean now? No, I'd say that originally I definitely came to carnivore as, a, as something to lose weight. But, but going on a fast was definitely not to lose weight. It was purely an experiment and to see how I felt. I would say that I, I, weigh, nine, I weigh nine stone, nine pounds. I don't know if that means anything to you. I think it's around 136 pounds. I think I'm, you know, I'm quite happy with my weight as I am now. Okay. I, I've lost... In the beginning, I probably lost like somewhere between 15 and 20 pounds, like back three and a half years ago. And my weight does fluctuate, you know, if, depending on what I'm eating. But I, I definitely wasn't fasting as a sort of weight loss, you know. To, right. But I was just asking as far as the three and a half years of being carnivore, if you had achieved the level of leanness that you were striving for. I mean, like, you know, you can never be too rich or too thin, you know, there's a a fixation. I think, interestingly, I think for the younger generation, I see like people in their 20s now, I think they want more like the the Kim Kardashian, you know, very shapely look. But I think for our generation, you know, grew up in the 70s when it was like so popular to be stick thin. I think, you know, there are, I do think it's healthy to to have a low, you know, low level of fat. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you guys, uh, you know, Take into account body fat percentage in the UK is that a standard kind of measurement? Yeah, it is. But the thing is, I'm I really shy away from any kind of like um, men, you know monitoring or tracking. I know how much I weigh, but I don't know what my body fat percentage is. What sure. do you go by? Do you kind of a, how your clothes fit and just how you feel? Is that really your main measuring? Yeah, so I, I do weigh myself like once a week, probably. Um, yeah, that's pretty much all that I, all that I use. So what do you eat in a typical day? You said you eat two meals a day. So mm-hmm. what cuts of meat are your, are your favorite and you found to be the most beneficial? Okay, so the most, so I really, go, I don't know about you guys, but I'm, I really go through like kind of like phases, like almost like fads. So I'll do something, you know, every day for a month and then I'll completely change. So at the moment what I'm doing is I'm having 
two scrambled eggs for lunch and I'll have and I'll have some cream as well so I have like a tablespoon full of cream like very heavy thick sort of I don't know what you guys call it double we call it double cream but I don't know if that's heavy whipping cream we call it yeah so I have two scrambled eggs and like a tablespoon of whipping cream and that's what I have for my lunch and I find that even though that's not you know big quantity a big volume of food it's really rich and it's really fatty and that keeps me going until like seven o'clock eight o'clock in the evening because I'm eating slightly later than I would normally do at the moment so then when I get home in the evening I will normally have uh, like half a ribeye steak and maybe two two or four pieces of bacon with that if I'm feeling really hungry I might have like a fried egg with that too um, and then again at the end of that meal I'll probably have um, like a, like a few cubes of cheese, like, you know, a very small amount of cheese. So as far as your protein to fat, you're really fat. You're choosing fatty cuts and the eggs, you know, by definition, by definition are also fatty. So you're really um, heavy on the fat side versus, you know, eating leaner cuts. Have you found that to be more satiating or what's the benefits of that? Yeah, it's really Taste. interesting that you should say that because <laughs> as I said, I don't really track any of the, you know, the protein and the fat. I just eat what I'm feeling like. It's really, really hot in the UK and has been for the past couple of weeks. So I find that if I'm eating big volumes of food, I don't know if you guys find this, but it makes me feel hotter. It makes me feel full and it makes me... So if I'm eating really rich, really fatty food, um, it just makes me feel like I don't get so overheated. So I just like to eat small volumes. But yeah, I think the fat I find is making me feel really good. It really put... Because sometimes if I'm not eating so much fat, I find that like... Three, four, five o'clock um, in the afternoon, I feel I have a real energy low. And I think that's maybe from eating a bit too much protein mm. at lunchtime. And that's making me feel sleepy. Whereas if I'm eating more fat, I, don't, I really don't get that slump in the afternoon. More energy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Probably had some gluconeogenesis going on, too. Mm -hmm. Liver's cr creating glucose. So well, let me ask you a this. little bit of that crash. Have yeah. you... Um, had your blood work done and have you had any confrontation with doctors as far as having elevated cholesterol if it was elevated and how have you dealt with that do you guys measure that in the uk yeah we do it's an interesting <laughs> question i literally i'm like the most i'm sure there's a term for it but i really never ever go to the doctor um a doctor phobe <laughs> doctor phobic exactly i just i don't I don't really buy into the sort of the way that medication is handed out. I don't, I don't like that approach. I don't, that's not what I want for me or for my family. I think mo and also, you know, just to reiterate, I am in a very lucky situation that I've been lucky with my health, but I really think for most things, you know, there is a nutritional way to deal with it first and foremost, you know, not to say I would never take any medication, but I really try to avoid it. So, you know, on your question, I, I haven't had any blood work done. If I do feel like having the test that we talked earlier on about, like the celiac test, I will just order it online and do it myself. Sure. Um, yeah. And you can handle things out. And of course, I do go to the doctor from time to time. But I, I mean, the last time I went was probably several year, years ago. I can't even think when I went to the last time to the doctor. That's smart because when I went and got my blood work done as a mostly carnivore, my cholesterol was elevated. And, of course, he pointed that out as a problem and yeah. basically said I was on the road to probably needing statins in the future, which I, you know, disagreed, with, disagreed with vehemently. So, yeah. And, but most people would just say, okay, and then get the statin pres prescribed and then uh, just on the road they go to Statinville. Um, so – Another question. What about the poor animals? 
<laughs> Why do you want to kill them? You know what, my only comeback to that, or, you know, one of the things that really irks me about that whole discussion about the poor animals is, you know, if you're a vegan and, you know, you're eating food, you know, any kind of crops, how many billions of insects, you know, have been killed in the production of that food? And I think, you know, people forget that about insects. I just think we've almost, we've almost made bees extinct, haven't we? I mean, it's a bit... So I think we vegans think about you know the cows, the big animals, but what are you know all the all the insects and other wildlife that is killed during you know any kind of agricultural you know production is is huge. So mm-hmm. that's my only counter to the poor animal argument. I don't know what you guys say. I, you know, yeah, I, I say talking. that all the time. And Josh is big on don't he, he's actually starting to save the rabbits and insects movement, but. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I think it's I think it's more important. Have you seen the documentary yet? Kiss the ground. No. Oh, it's it's so worth a watch. But anyways, I think what's more detrimental to the to the mass producing agriculture is the amount of land that's getting tilled up. That's not in vegetation, and that's what's creating all the CO two that's c- contributing to the greenhouse effect. That's yeah. contributing to global warming. It's not cow farts or or diesel engines. It's the lack of vegetation creating CO two. So mm-hmm. that's a really, really good watch. It's on, I think it's Amazon or Netflix, but yeah, it's, okay. it's really good. Speaking Just of that, yep. um, what about, uh, you know, you hear, we hear this environmental argument as well. Um, what's your response when people say, well, all that meat production is horrible for the, the earth. Don't you love the earth? Yeah. Well, this I documentary mean, will support that theory. Right. I mean, I want to hear her. I think uh, my view on that is, I mean, again, I'm, I'm, the reason that I haven't really addressed this on my, my YouTube channel is I think it's such a complex issue. But my understanding of that whole discussion is that when you're comparing, you know, crops versus animals um, being, you know, produced, that you're not really comparing like, like for like. So I don't know how many, you know, if you killed a cow, how long could you survive on that meat? I think it's like a year or two years. You know, it's a really long amount of time. Whereas if you eat cabbage or, you know, apples, how long is that food going to keep you going? So I think when those comparisons are done about livestock versus crops, I think that the way that it's, the way that those two things are compared is not done in an accurate way in terms of how, what volume of those, you know, what volumes of those two Quite different things you need to be to eat, but I think it's such a. I don't believe that cow farts and you know <laughs> livestock right. is creating the volume of you know CO two or you know whichever gases that people claim. I just I can't believe that for one moment. Yeah, I mean, some might I'd be say they have an agenda when they're before. when they're producing those studies. Some might say they are biased or possibly have an agenda. <laughs> yeah, I, I think they're nonsense too. <laughs> awesome. Well, I was gonna. Okay, so you mentioned you. Let's get into uh, exercise and working out. You mentioned you walk seven kilometers. I'm going to have to Google what that is. Five miles. Um, five miles. Um, but do you do any sort of resistance training or lifting um, besides I, the walking? I, no, no, I have to say I don't really. I was doing yoga every day for, for quite a few years, but I, I'm just not doing that at the moment. And I'm aware that I sh- I've just started doing Pilates, um, Pilates Reformer, so it's on the machine, and that's my first, I've only been doing that for two weeks. But I'm very aware that, that I should be doing some 
work to to develop my muscles so you know what do you guys do i'd be interested to hear what your recommendations are well i, I bench like 500 pounds i don't know about old dewey here but no uh, we we lift we lift uh, i'm i'm sort of a beginner lifter but um yeah we're trying to build build our muscles mostly for vanity i think <laughs> I, I i think lifting heavy weights is is the fountain of youth it's a secret to longevity um, I, I don't know if you ever listened to or, or followed Dr. Peter Atia, but I, I have listened, I have heard a few of his podcasts. Okay, yeah. yeah, and and he always says that muscle mass, lean body mass, is the fountain of youth because losing lean body mass, losing muscle, is literally the act of dying. Okay, I mean that's you're withering away. You're you're physically yeah. dying by losing your muscle. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's a huge, 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 it's well, equally important in my life as the, as the nutrition piece. And our, at our age too, uh, I think I forget the exact stat, but I think it's something like 15% of your lean muscle mass disappears every decade. So really, you know, being at our age, same age as you, we're trying to counteract that natural effect. And, you know, the only way to counteract that is by lifting and producing more lean muscle mass, or at least maintaining the same amount. So yeah, we're pretty big on that. Um, and do you have to, so in in terms of you know creating muscle? Do you need to lift every day, or what's the protocol? Is it like three times a week? Is it I do every other day, and you know that's a whole rabbit hole. Super individualistic. Yeah, but I mean, even yeah. if you, what I tell people is who have never done anything, if you just every morning do as many push ups to failure, you and know, even squats. if you just start doing that, and air squats, or if you have a chin up bar and do as many chin ups. You know, I when I just to tell my story quick, I started in January doing I could do six chin ups, now I can do twenty one as of this morning. Yeah. You know, and that's, that's how many really I can cool. do to failure. So it's progressive overload. So your muscles have to adapt to that stimulus and grow to meet that higher demand. So yeah. if even if you just do that, that'll possibly counteract at least the decline that's gonna happen naturally. And then if you want to gain muscle and yeah. be you know, actually be have more muscles on your body, then you have to hit the gym. And there was actually there's heavy. actually an article yesterday in the New York Times about the having the lean body mass, the increased lean body mass, and what it does to the fat burn. Yeah, I mean it burns more calories too, just naturally yeah. at rest too. So you know that that helps with people that are trying to get leaner. Um, the thing is, I think for me the issue is I'm so weak. Well, I'm not that weak, but <laughs> my my, uh, my upper body strength. So in trying to do anything where, like you know, you're talking about chin ups, I'm just thinking I don't think I could do one. So going from like not being able to do it to being able to do you know 21, it's like such, it just seems like such a mountain to climb that I'm like, right, well, I still can't do it. How do I get to being able to do one? You know what? That's you start with a like get one of those bands so you can do an assisted chin up. Mm-hmm. with like yeah. a resistance band helping you and then yeah. you do as many as you can with that and then eventually you use a lighter band and then eventually you can do one on your own and then you can do two and then okay. your muscles will adapt if especially with all the protein you're eating yeah uh, your muscles will adapt and grow to meet that stimulus and you'll or get stronger another quick we can we don't need to go down this rabbit hole but another <laughs> a quick scaling option would be to um remove your tables or your chairs from underneath your dining room or kitchen table and then just lay yeah. underneath there and grab the edge of the table and try and just pull yourself up. Okay. So it's not yeah. your full body weight, then it's just, you know, your torso kind of. Yeah. Yeah, yeah there's all kinds of ways to scale things back so that, you know, because we just did an episode about uh, seniors, you know, like 70 plus, 
lifting weights and doing deadlifts and, you know, bench pressing and all kinds of heavy lifting. And because they're trying to stave off that frailty that naturally happens. Mm -hmm. And even then, even with senior geriatric seniors, even then, I mean, they're like, well, I can't do an air squat. Well, good. Then sit on your favorite kitchen chair and then just stand up 50 times without using your hands. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Start somewhere. Just start. Yeah. Awesome. Well, this is a great overview. Do you have any, any more, uh, questions you want to ask there Dewey I will like an hour from now <laughs> <laughs> well Jess we really can't thank you enough for joining us today and uh, what are your goals for the future are you you said you, you kind of added in some plans and you're trying that you're experimenting you're not super dogmatic but yeah. what do you think you know the next three to five years what do you think that will look like as far as your diet goes I think that, um, you know, just on the whole subject of aging, really, I'm quite keen to reduce the volume of food that I eat, if that makes any sense. I think I'm still in the habit, and this is like a real um, sort of hangover from growing up with lots of carbohydrates. And, but I really always feel that when I sit down to eat, I want to feel full, you know, and I, and I kind of that's not what I actually want, if you know what I mean. I wish I could just eat smaller volumes and feel like I can just walk away from the table. And it's this whole sort of like Western life, the way that we eat. I, I don't know if you guys have ever said, I just think I'm a, you know, naturally quite a greedy person and I will always eat a little bit more than I need to and I'll always walk away from a meal feeling just a little bit more full than I actually want to feel. So I just really like to be able to get, you know, my sort of fat protein ratios to the point where I don't have that driving force anymore. I mean, can can you relate to that? Is oh, that yes. just me? That's that. What you just said—it's a competition, right? I mean, they literally have competition. I just watched the movie The Great Outdoors the other night with John Candy. I don't know if you've seen that, but there's a scene where he eats the old 96er, and it's a giant 96-ounce porterhouse, and if he eats it in one sitting, his whole table gets their meals comped. <laughs> yeah, and it's <laughs> that kind of sums up at least the American view. You know, more is better. Like, you go to Denny's, you go to Perkins. These Super are all size, family restaurants. Yeah. It's all, you get giant portions, and that's... Yeah. Rewarded, and that's add this for ninety nine cents. Yeah, right? supersize everything. You know, it's yeah. all the bigger the portions are, the more value we feel we're getting. So yeah. that's unfortunately a lot of value has been placed on having large portions, which we t- I totally agree with you that you got to know your calories and your goals. You know, for your calorie consumption for the day, and then not, don't exceed yeah. that in a way that still keeps you satiated and hits your nutrient goals. Yeah. And to touch on what you just said about the. Um, the next five years and how you see that in the eating smaller amounts. Um, mm-hmm. Speaking of Peter Atia, he was on with Joe Rogan. That's kind of how he got his start and kind of got everyone gets their start, but that's how, how Peter got his claim to fame and, and went down the road he's on. But one thing that'll always ring true, which echoes what you just said is Joe Rogan said, what is it? What, what do we need to know? If you had to just tell somebody what is the future, what, what do we need to know? When it, and, and Peter Tia said, when it all comes down to it, when the dust settles, he said, I believe we get through the carnivore, the keto, the vegan, the paleo, the whole 30, all the nonsense. When you strip away all that and the dust finally settles, the yeah. secret to longevity is calorie restriction. Yeah. Yep. So it so, sounds like you're, you're on the right path there. Right. You know what you need to do, and you're just real, real close. So, And it's happened naturally. Yeah, and you're, I mean, you're closer than 99.9% of the population, you know, who is mostly overbeast, diabetic, yep. you know, all the other, uh, uh, you know, metabolic massive, massive problems we're seeing, at least in the U.S., and I'm sure in the U.K. Um, let me ask you this. I know we're wrapping up here, but 
I keep thinking of more questions. <laughs> when you go to your average beach or water park, is seeing a lean person kind of a unicorn now? I've noticed that. Like, I can't, whenever I see a lean person, I'm like, wow, that's, that's a rarity. Yeah. I mean, when I, you know, when we've all seen those photos, right, you know, black and white pictures of people on the beach in the 1950s, yeah, I think, you know, it's a different world these days, isn't it? I mean, living in London, most people are pretty slim. I'd say definitely, you know, we, it's not representative of the whole of the UK, but, you know, by and large, you're right. When I go to, you know, swimming pool or um, the beach when I'm outside of London, it's just, yeah, you know, it's it's a real issue. People, you know, the I think people's perception of what is normal is just so, so different now to, you know, when we were growing up in the 70s and it was really unusual to be overweight back then. It, yeah, it's a whole different thing. And I, it makes me feel really sad. It, it makes does. me feel incredibly yes. sad that, you know, so many people are literally addicted to this hyper-processed food that, you know, most people are consuming and think it's normal to eat. That's, Especially that's the kids. The, the kids is heartbreaking. It just kills me. And they're not any less active. I don't buy that BS. The kids are out all day long from from sun up to sundown, running nonstop, riding bikes, playing sports, yeah. and they're heavy. It's just it's, the calories, yep. the calorie amount they're taking in in a day. All right, Jess, well, we really appreciate your time today. Yes, thank today. you. And I want you to tell... I really enjoyed it. It's been amazing. Thank you so much for inviting me on. Yeah, and I want you to tell everyone, uh, you know, if they, I know you have a YouTube channel. What's yeah. the name of that? I, I, it's just my name. It's just Jess Jones. Jess so Jones, okay. it's pretty easy to find me. And we'll put the link, of course, in the show notes and everything so people can find you if they want to hear more about your story and watch your videos. And uh, you're active on Twitter as well. Yeah, I'm Jess Jones LDN on Twitter. Yep, so, yeah. Perfect. And yet we'll put the link uh, on there for that. And uh, everyone else out there, make sure you're sending us emails at info at fitandfurious.com. If you have questions, watch on YouTube, check out the uh, valuable visuals and weekly extra content. Check us out anywhere audio podcasts are found. Please subscribe, rate, review, and share. And we will see you next week. Fade to block.